Hello, Jordan. Uh, how's it going? What's up? Uh, hey, Rob. Uh, new season of Fortnite is out today. You know, so I'm pretty excited. Very nice. Is, yep. Things are turning around. And we got uh, we got Ken here as well. Hello. Hey, Ken. Howdy. How's it going over there, Ken? It's going. It's going all right. Yeah. I've been a little bit, I've been better, to be honest. Uh, it's been kind of a rough week for me. And part of the reason for that is because I think there's kind of a current trend going on in America that, you know, maybe we bear some kind of responsibility for kicking it off or encouraging it. And, you know, I, I can explain further. Just, you know, we've been talking about supporting the the movement to hold police accountable for, pre- for police brutality, uh, talking about systemic racism. You know, we, the three of us, we believe in this. We've been working behind the scenes on, on creating some content to uh, to help boost this message. Like I know we we worked really hard on that celeb video with the different celebs, how they hold themselves accountable to that, and that I thought was when it when it got across really well. People really seem to enjoy that. You know, we 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 all agree that we do support this movement, this ongoing movement, right? Yeah, I think between um, the supercut that we made of all the celebs. Uh, very really, really slowly saying that they take responsibility. Uh, that was, you know, probably the best thing that we put together. But I think also all of our consulting work, um, like you know, helping like groups like Raytheon and Shell, um, yeah. you know, different, uh, you know, gun manufacturers and taser manufacturers, putting out statements in support of Black Lives Matter. I thought that was another thing we yeah. should be really proud of. Just, just work that we do on the side. Yeah, I mean, I never thought we would top that Imagine video we did a few months ago. But then, when we did that, I was like, "Wow, this is we really even we raised the bar even higher." Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is all to say that you know it it should be clear to everyone that we support this movement. We've been working behind the scenes and this kind of stuff. But I I think in 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 some ways that supercut you did, Jordan, of all the celebs, it almost went too far because now we're we're starting to see some some really tragic unintended consequences of this for uh, uh the men and women in blue and you know we don't we want to we want to get rid of the bad apples we want to we want to reform the police we talked about all the different ideas um you know disrupt the police all the different mm-hmm. ideas we were bandying around last week but yeah i've seen some really disturbing reports um over the last couple of days that have made me start to question this, maybe question the role we've played in 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 this spreading this kind of incendiary rhetoric. You know, we just a few nights ago we had we had a few police officers in New York City get get sore tummies apparently from a yeah. fast food experience, possibly some kind of malicious poisoning. I I don't know mm-hmm. if the the facts of that have been unearthed. Of course, today we saw just a really devastating, heartbreaking video of the one the the police officer who apparently had to wait a few extra minutes for her mcmuffin and was just really visibly terrified at you know the possibility that that there was some kind of poisoning or some kind of malicious uh uh, stuff being done to her food behind the scenes and you're seeing like what kind of effects this is having on the good police officers in america I'm, i'm hearing reports of different police officers at other fast food restaurants receiving you know diet pepsi instead of diet coke in some oh no some really tragic uh, uh, circumstances <sighs> and i'm starting to wonder you know have we played a role in in spreading this kind of rhetoric and, and helping this stuff uh, happen i'm a little yeah. disillusioned oh, oh my god 
I didn't hear about the Pepsi thing, but that's horrifying. Yeah. Um, there was yeah. one. I mean, I didn't think we were going to get into kind of like the grand, the granular details of this kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, when we made that super cut, um, I thought like this could really help turn the tide and really help people think about race in this country and, and the role of, you know, police brutality and things like that. The last thing I ever wanted was, and just, just trigger warning on this, the last thing I wanted was for somebody to get a, a regular fry at Arby's when they ordered a curly fry. Like, that's that should not happen to anyone, yeah. especially not a first responder. We are yeah. better than this. Yeah, this is not the America that I, that I thought I knew. No. Personally. Well, I hope this can be a learning experience for you guys. Um, you can have a kind of growth moment here. Move past this. Yeah. We wouldn't uh, want to do a no growth in this situation. Exactly. Um, and, you know, while I'm maybe cut in here and say that, you know, while I'm sort of have some personal affinity to these guys, I, you know, by no, by no means agree with them on everything they've done in the past. So I just want to um, point that out for yeah. anyone, including, um, you know, legal officials that m- might be listening to, to this. So do you know in that Arby situation, Jordan, if they did, if they did receive horsey sauce as well? Because that's no. oh my they, god. Well, here's here's what happened. Um, the store said that, the, that they were out. So I mean, and this is I think entirely reasonable. The officer drew their weapon, immediately started streaming live on Facebook and talking about how cops are under attack in this country. And sure, one hundred percent, this is that's not right. Tragic. That is a deliberate, a deliberate targeted harassment. Yeah, uh, we got to tone by, it down. We got to tone staff. down the rhetoric on all sides mm-hmm. here, everybody. Yep. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome to The Insurgents. It's episode 27. Uh, it's Robert So here with Jordan and Ken. How are you two doing at the moment? What's up? I was actually quite sick today, so um, my performance oh. in this podcast—it's going to be—I'm like um, Russell Crowe's character in The Gladiator, where yeah. I'm kind of passing in and out of consciousness, but um, still, I will uh, be able to put on a show for you guys. That's great. So, thank you. Song and dance. Thank you. Yeah, I was—I was going to say I'm happy you're back from the dead. I—I t- <laughs> I tried to—I tried to revive the Ken is de- the Ken is dead meme. Uh, today that was fun that was a fun hour on on twitter i don't think it needs revival i get that intermittently <laughs> like you'd be surprised how often i still see that <laughs> even though we, we haven't mentioned what it do you, okay weeks. outside of the krasenstein brothers because that's like that's definitely into kind of normie twitter right what do you get the most other than that um the ban a lot of people asking me <laughs> yes um and people that are not even but, i mean that's twitter. still kind of that's still kind of krasenstein brothers related though well, I've had very normie like Facebook people that aren't that at least I don't recognize from Twitter that I'll do like a Facebook post on my like page for if I post one of my stories, they'll be like um, excited to see Ken come out of retirement to, to do that. I'm like, I, you're a, you're like a 55 year old Facebook guy. How do you know about this? Yeah, you know I like I like that it's trickled so far from just it's just like now it's like reaching people who are just exclusive like pixelated boomer memes people who just also <laughs> only know this about you dude this been happening because um there was like a there i 
I know my life had hit bottom when it was, there was like some, I'm not kidding. It was like a 65, it was like a 65 year old, like very sweet looking grandma lady with like a cross pendant necklace kind of thing. And she was making a uh-huh. Krasenstein joke on Twitter. Oh <laughs> was my like, God. Dude, <laughs> she had like a blue wave in her, she had a blue wave in her, no! her username too. Like the emoji. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so sad, dude. That's hilarious. But it's, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I just I wanted to revive it because I just remember I remember the first day we were doing the Ken is dead memes. I was I found that so funny and I don't I don't even can't even put my finger on why, but I just remember spending that whole afternoon just like really laughing. I was really laughing at the Ken is dead memes, so I kind of tried to bring it back today. Well, it made it to your family, right? Didn't your dad ask you what happened? It was my mom. I'm gonna have to invoice you guys for her um, psychiatric care because she was like, <laughs> "Are you okay? What's going oh, no. on?" Because my dad saw it and thought it was funny and told my mom, but I don't think my mom my mom is like. I don't know what the opposite of online is. Like she doesn't, I once saw her try to use a mouse and it was like she lost balance and looked like she was going to like fall out of her chair. So she doesn't, she's very not online. Like I don't, I don't think she's ever used the internet before. So I don't, I think these layers of sort of like internet uh, irony or like probably um, escape her when my dad was describing it to her. So she became very concerned and asked me what was going on. That's so funny. I love that your, I love that your dad uh, gets the jokes and like follows along. Oh, it's terrifying. He's and also, becoming, he's, he's apparently increasingly a annoying. lurker, a Twitter lurker. He is, yeah. I don't know. I think it was Bernie, really, because after Sanders' campaign, he seemed to get a lot more plugged in and pay more attention to these things. Um, uh, that's not good, but um, it's what happened. We're radicalizing all the dads on this show. <laughs> that's great. It's important. Dads rise up. Yeah. Dad's rock. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of our ongoing Dad's Rock campaign. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we got a pretty pretty packed show here uh, today. We've got Taylor Lorenz from the New York Times coming on uh, in just a little bit. Um, we talked to her about all kinds of stuff with the unaccountable tech companies, uh, the weird, bizarre stuff going on with eBay and their harassment of uh, of minor critics. Um, TikTok. We talked about my burgeoning status as a TikTok superstar, kind of still on hold. All kinds of. We had a really great conversation with Taylor. It was really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, Taylor. Taylor has her finger on the pulse of like all things internet, and usually when a new, weird, bizarre trend emerges, she's the first one to kind of pick up on it and identify it and write about it. So interesting to get her take on. Yeah, like you said, like the weird dystopian world of like woke brands weighing in on like global crises. Um, as they quietly contribute to it. And then, yeah, like Rob said, the leftist uh, hype house that Rob is going to take over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, seeing tanks and everything roll through downtown, uh, de- or seeing all these like military people, uh, you know, enforcing law and order now. I kept thinking of Half-Life 2, and I thought, you know, the one part that turned out to be unrealistic about Half-Life 2 was that the totalitarian regime didn't have like um, hashtag we stand with you kind of branding (laughs) if they had had that then it would have been completely realistic but save for that yeah black lives matter now pick up that can citizen (laughs) um yeah okay so but before taylor comes on there's a couple of things that i wanted to get into we've also got some some more reviews to 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 uh read um but okay but here's the main here's the first thing i wanted to, to talk about we talked about a little bit about this with taylor um, and it ties together a couple of things we've been talking about on the show over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know one thing I remember when we, when this pandemic was really first starting to become a very serious thing, the lockdown was kind of starting and the three of us talked. 
one thing that I had mentioned that I was kind of concerned about was this like network of far right, heavily armed uh, militias throughout the United States and how they were going to respond to this current moment uh, and the sort of potential for violence there. And now it seems like now that this uprising has been going on for a few weeks, um, that you've started to see elements of that and started to see that bubble up. You've seen uh, in the conflict over these statues that that are being pulled down by protesters of people like Columbus and different other slave owners and, and colonizers that are being pulled down. And you're starting to see like uh, armed, uh, you know, right wingers come to like defend these statues. Um, there was that situation in Arizona uh, a few days ago where someone was shot at one of these protests by this uh, uh, the son of a former sheriff and someone who once ran for uh, ABQ city council as well. And you've had a situation where you had a gunman who, who killed two law enforcement officers in California uh, associated with this far right uh, movement. Um, and a couple of other situations where these far right uh, figures have tried to incite violence at these protests. And I find it so remarkable that, you know, this has been going on and, I know it's been, you know, the media has talked about it a little bit. There's a piece in the Washington Post on this stuff. But as far as I know, I'm not really plugged into like the 24 hour cable news cycle to the same extent. But I haven't seen a lot of like hand wringing pieces on this or big sensationalized things about these far right figures, you know, literally murdering police officers at these protests. Um, whereas you have things like a Wendy's being burned or, you know, the fucking auto zone being smashed up that get talked about like violent protests and looting and, and talking about that. But meanwhile, you know, the, the fact that there's heavily armed far right militia members literally murdering people at these protests hasn't really been talked about that much. I find that a little bit odd. Well, yeah, as a member of the news media, um, when people are getting their nugs, um, late, later than they hoped you can't expect the media to also be covering these um mass mass murders and things so yeah, do you, can you know anything about this um i'm specifically the guy in california that that shot a couple of police officers i you were saying you had some info some intel on this yeah um folks in the law enforcement community um showed me some of the intelligence that they were working on um about all this not this like now but uh the fbi knew uh, that far-right groups had been trying to um, infiltrate and recruit from within um, the active-duty military for some time now, and specifically um, because they want to find people that had expertise in um, automatic weapons, rifles, and explosives. And um, it was really prescient to see this intelligence, which is um, you know predates um, any of the protests now, uh, because one of the individuals uh, that killed uh, two law enforcement officials, um, he himself was not just in the military, but he was uh, part of an elite unit called the Phoenix Raven Security Forces. This is in the uh, U.S. Air Force. Their task is to protect um, kind of airstrips and uh, things of that nature from uh, terror groups, uh, uh, largely overseas. But um, this guy uh, is accused by the Justice Department of um, having killed these two uh, police officers, and I think critically injured a third one. And uh, he did it. The way that he went about doing it was really... Uh, pretty frightening. I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more coverage. He uh, put together a homemade machine gun that he uh, placed a silencer on. The intent of that appeared to be to go to the protests, uh, kill these law enforcement 
officers and uh, because the gun is silenced and because they were trying to do it from some sort of distance, get the police to think that it was the demonstrators that were doing it. And uh, it looks like uh, that was explicitly this person's plan and a part of um, the, their ideology being uh, getting the police to then fire at protesters and foment a civil war. Uh, this is literally the ideology. And I can't think of a better illustration of why the intelligence community was worried about recruitment from within the military. Um, not just because, you know, they're obviously very conservative uh, factions within the military, but because they have this sorts of expertise that they want to use and go beyond just the rhetoric, beyond gab, beyond um, sort of, you know, speech, uh, you know, m- much of the speech being scary as it is uh, and, and move towards action, which it seems that this person uh, did. So, yeah, it's really shocking to me that this is I mean, can you imagine if this person had been Muslim or affiliated with the protests in any way? Yeah, like if it was a 17-year-old in a, in a black hoodie and a face mask and shooting law enforcement officials, I'm pretty sure this would be getting talked about nonstop in, on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News. Um, but like usual, um, the, 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 ever, the very real threat of right-wing violence just is always kind of downplayed and not talked about to the same extent. And it's like you'd think at this moment maybe they would start to reevaluate the way that they cover this kind of stuff. Uh, and especially when it comes to like violence and violence at protests, but that's kind of alarming. I think that's a little alarming that uh, that is happening, and and no one seems to be in too much of a hurry to, you know, make a connection, a broader connection to possible future threats of violence. Uh, it's kind of getting swept under the rug. Yeah, I think it should raise flags too about um, attrib- how we go about attribution uh, with, with respect to the violence that has taken place, you know, property violence or otherwise, uh, because we have these groups of individuals. Uh, that you know talk to each other and seem to have some level of coordination and one of their strategies is explicitly uh, to you know uh, carry out acts of violence in 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 situations that are sort of chaotic enough that they hope that um, law enforcement will confuse um, you know who is responsible for what and end up blaming the protesters this is an actual strategy that they have um, so you know I think that should raise a lot of questions um, and and should be a cause for has uh, you know hesitation on the part of media when they decide when they decide to say you know protesters did this or rioters did that yeah i just i think that's something that really should be raising alarm bells for everyone um you know that was one of the things that i was i was concerned with at the outset of this pandemic the fact that you know these conditions are lining up that could possibly lead to some of these these heavily armed far right groups to kind of see the moment that they've been kind of waiting and training for and kind of talking about and memeing about for a long time and then now, with this extra element of this, this, uh, these uprisings based primarily around like solidarity for for uh, African Americans and and against police violence, it's like the conditions could not be more ripe for a, a very serious escalation of this. And like I, I would like to believe that they, maybe this is just a, a flare up and that maybe it's going to be brought under control. But the, like I said, the fact that the media is not really focusing on this. Um, the fact that it's not become really a big narrative, I think should be a cause for concern for everyone. And that, um, there, I do feel like there's a chance for, for more of these, these groups to start feeling more emboldened in this situation and to start, you know, acting out on some of the like very violent fantasies they've had about, you know, the race war in America or the new civil war. Uh, so it's, it's scary. And, uh, I, that's something that I think everyone should be following and, uh, and and seeing if more stories about these groups 
continue because it's uh it's something that i think could very easily escalate so that's something that i'm a little alarmed by i gotta say and i guess the the convenient uh, application of the of that standard and 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 posturing segues to another thing we wanted to have you on to talk about ken which is the the selective uh posturing of around identity in, in elections that we're seeing now play out in the elliott angle uh, and Jamal Bowman race in New York. We have uh, a, a terrible hardline Dem, you know, center left, maybe uh, Elliot Engel, basically an absentee congressman who has a ton of power because of his committee uh, chairmanship, uh, getting the endorsement from people like Hillary Clinton and, and, and Andrew Cuomo over the much more progressive, much more down to earth, much more, you know, likable Jamal Bowman. He's a school teacher, he's a school principal, progressive great platform, awesome guy, energetic campaigner. And he's getting the endorsements from people like AOC and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and groups like Move On and Justice Democrats, all these people, like the squad's backing him. And that really highlights an interesting dynamic between the new, popular and likable progressive faces in politics and the old guard, Andrew Cuomo, Hillary, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer. Now, Ken, you and I talked yesterday, there's more to it than just a power dynamic. What is actually well maybe not actually at play but what is also at play here you you explained the uh the committee chairmanship dynamic and how that impacts things around your work and and other in, in other information and sources out of the intel community is that right yeah so one angle to this i think is getting missed um and i think that's partly because um it's sort of technical in nature uh, but it does affect everyone, is that um, Engel is the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, which obviously has oversight over huge parts of our foreign policy. Um, and when the, you know, House is what the Democrats control, uh, you know, they could have a lot, they have a lot of authority to um, go and find out and ask about aspects of our foreign policy uh, that are then disclosed to the general public, uh, much of which is classified. So whenever you have classified information, um, which, you know, overclassification is a huge problem. They love to stamp classified on things just to, um, as a matter of general practice to prevent it from getting out to the public. Um, when you have classified information, one of the only ways that the public has to find out, uh, what that information says, uh, legally anyways, is, um, through these, uh, congressional committees because, um, individuals on, for example, the house intelligence committee, the Senate intelligence committee, and, you know, this case, the foreign affairs committee, uh, they are read in on, uh, classified briefings and then um, what's something that's very special about the Congress is that they have never been prosecuted. And it's sort of like a gray area legal question. But um, it, it, my interpretation, it, it seems pretty clear that they can basically leak or disclose, however you want to put it, uh, classified information to the press, um, which then, of course, reaches the general public. And, um, you know, without a Congress that is uh, pushing for that information and then willing to sh- go ahead and share it to the press, there's almost literally no way the public can know what's going on if the government has decided to classify it. Um, there's one other dynamic. It's called inspector generals. Um, they can, uh, you know, they can disclose um, some things. But the problem with that is that they serve at the leisure of the president. The president can fire them. So it's kind of a joke. Um, you know, when Trump can fire them, then obviously they're not going to push real hard. The only dynamic that we have for disclosure of this classified um, information uh, is these congressional committees. So he is head of the Foreign Affairs Committee. That's an extremely important one. Uh, to give you, you know, uh, some examples of it, uh, they can um, press the White House and the Trump administration for information on, uh, for instance, how they're handling the conflict with Venezuela, which we saw very recently. Uh, it looks like there was a coup attempt 
Um, it's unclear what the government's relation to it may have been. I wouldn't write off the possibility that there was one. But I'd we like know to know you've more. signed an NDA about your involvement in that as well. So I, I appreciate <laughs> if you don't want to talk. That's about right. That. But you know, I've been inspired by um, John Bolton's uh, example here with his book. So I'll go yeah. ahead and just say that and let the Justice Department sort of sort it out. But um, <laughs> you know, the question to me is like, so when you see these former operators go in and try to topple a government, was the CIA involved in that? Well, there's no way to know if they were because it's classified. Uh, it, except for uh, Congress's uh, ability to go and review these things and get classified briefings. The problem is um, that depends on how critical and how adversarial uh, the individuals in these committees that have access to classified information are. So um, Congress uh, and you know a whole lot of institutions, including um, arms contractors, uh, private, private military contractors, they spend a ton of money to make sure that these seats – are held by extremely centrist uh, or right-wing individuals uh, to be sure that there doesn't become uh, – to be sure that they don't become too adversarial. So um, this goes beyond just a sort of you know New York uh, regional election and I think affects uh, the access to information that the whole country has um, on, on issues that uh, – you know, from the war in Afghanistan that is now the longest war in U.S. history, uh, what's going on in Latin America, all over, you know, all over the world. This is one of the only ways that we can find out about it. So if Angle is pushed out, I don't doubt that they will put, uh, they do their best to put another sort of centrist uh, person in there. But uh, looking at his uh, politics and his record, I doubt very much that they will be able to find as loyal of an individual. Isn't he the number one recipient of in the democratic party of APAC funding as well. Is I believe so. He's I believe so. He's certainly the, the, like one of the foremost ones and he doesn't hide it either. I mean, I spent like five minutes looking through his stuff, uh, looking through his financial disclosures. They have to do ethics disclosures to show, you know, where the money is. He has, I think like over $10,000. It doesn't say exactly how much in actual Israeli government bonds. And, um, I mean, that is just an indication of, uh, <laughs> You know, something that, that's something that How's hasn't that been reported. Legal? <laughs> well, a lot of crazy. I, stuff I was under the impression that foreign interference in the American government was bad. I think that was. <laughs> I've been told that repeatedly, but apparently not always. It's there's an asterisk. Yeah, there's an asterisk there. There, it's it, it's if it's China, Iran, or Russia. If it's other countries, then it seems like we don't care as much. But yeah, I, don't, yeah, I thought that was strange. Um, I mean, just looking at his. Uh, Record. I mean, he was significantly to the right of the Obama administration on these things. So, for example, um, when Obama didn't even vote with the United Nations, simply just backed off and and you know instructed uh, his administration not yeah. to veto, not to veto a purely symbolic resolution condemning um, Israeli settlements, which are kind of a polite word for you know Israeli government illegally seizing you know Palestinian territory and just letting Israeli um, you know companies develop. Yeah, residencies there. Um, when, when Obama just sat that out, didn't even say anything, just 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 prevented the uh, UN resolution from being vetoed. Um, uh, Engel, you know, made a statement excoriating him for it and saying that he doesn't. Uh, I'm quoting now. He says, "I do not believe that settlements are a major obstacle to peace," and that is an extraordinary statement for a Democrat to make. That is something that like a right wing Republican. Uh, would make. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that with respect to foreign policy, particularly in the Middle East, that he uh, is indistinguishable from a Republican. So another example would be the fact that um, he favors uh, Jerusalem 
being the capital of Israel, which is an extremely provocative move. You know, however you feel about yeah. Israel, I don't believe that it is in Israel's interest to make it their capital because that is going to cause a hell of a lot of instability and anger uh, in the region. Um, I remember under FOIA uh, a couple of years ago, I got back a State Department cable um, that showed that um, even the Israeli military itself was worried about uh, how far uh, how kind of crazy a lot of these Trump policies have gotten. Uh, so, for example, when they cut aid to the Palestinian uh, territories, they were worried that that was going to cause instability, just completely aside from the moral concerns about, you know, providing uh, aid to, you know, a population that desperately needs it. They were worried that it's going to lead to violence and, and instability, which I think is pr- a perfectly rational concern. When you look at something like Jerusalem, I think that's a rational concern, too. It's already a region that, you know, is shared uh, that you know, Israeli citizens can already have access to. It's just that um, it's been held in sort of a neutral status, just to avoid this sort of conflict. So for him to basically agree with the Trump administration on that is completely crazy to me. But that's not the only case like that. I was looking through um, some of his, uh, you know, past statements back during the Obama administration. He actually um, held a press conference with a little someone named Mike Pence, who you might recognize. Where uh, he mm. condemned mm, I think I've heard these, of him. Yeah, yeah, you guys might have heard of him. Um, where Obscure he and Mike Pence, <laughs> he and Mike Pence held a joint press conference where they uh, condemned the um, uh, freedom flotillas that were bringing aid uh, to the Palestinian territories. Yeah. So in many which, ways, which just, which the Israeli military ended up violently uh, subduing and and killing a bunch of people in the process. Yep, yep, if that's I remember exactly correctly. Right. So, I mean, if you were to just kind of blank out his name and just read the state, read a lot of these policies, I would think you're talking about not just a Republican, um, but perhaps to the right of a Romney Republican, even maybe a, you know, Trump style Republican. I mean, this is really, you know, very reactionary by any sort of international and even American standards, uh, these policies. So you can imagine what someone like him on the Foreign Affairs Committee, what is he going to decide to leak to the press? What is he going to decide to, um, you know, ask for access to about classified stuff. I mean, it's going to sort of fit with this framework that I've tried to, you know, lay out here, a a right-wing framework, essentially. Yeah. And it seems like when you factor all that in, all these different elements, um, you can see why it's important for the Democratic establishment to make sure that he doesn't get um, removed and upset in this race. And, you know, I guess that's fine. They have to do what they have to do. But it's just, I guess I get tired of them using this, this like woke language and talking about, you know, like, li- listen to POC and stuff like that. And then during this, like, unprecedented moment, moment in American history, this big ongoing uh, uprising uh, movement to recognize, you know, uh, the, uh, that Black Lives Matter and, and, and these criminal justice issues. And then to have this, like, young, exciting, uh, you know, black insurgent uh, uh, candidate in this race. Uh, and then, of course, all these establishment people immediately uh, circle around the 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 guy that's already there, the old white guy, who we're always told we shouldn't be listening to. Yeah, but yeah, it well, seems have... like it. It seems like there's a bit of a double standard about when we're supposed to listen to uh, people of color and when we're supposed to challenge the the hegemony of these old white guys. And it depends on on what their political advocacy is all about. Yeah, exactly. When you have people like Clinton stick their neck out. And I think he was the first endorsement that she made for this upcoming election, which is amazing. <laughs> you have Schumer, you have Cuomo. When they bring out the big guns like that, that means they're really scared. And I honestly, I really do think it goes beyond just the implications of losing one seat. Because what do they care if one person joins the CPC, the Congressional Progressive Caucus? Um, they understand that the loss of uh, the control of the seat by you know an extremely conservative member of the Democratic Party uh, could you know have a downstream effect in terms of 
policy. I mean, this guy, he voted for the Iraq war. Let me, you know, this is funny. Let me pull, if you look at his wiki, it it really looks like his staff edited it because it's his vote for the Iraq <laughs> war and other portions are described in uh, kind of comically sympathetic terms. So let me, let me read the, let me read the section on the Iraq war. In 2002, although 133 members of the House of Representatives voted against it, Engel voted for the resolution granting President Bush the authority to use force in Iraq. And then it goes on to say, get this, as did the two senators from New York. Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton, and almost 300 members of the United States House of Representatives. Everyone was doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes on to say, this is great. It says, um, let's see. After revelations that intelligence provided to Congress was partially unreliable and the subsequent problems faced after Saddam Hussein was deposed, Engel had come to regret his decision to support the 2003 invasion of Iraq and and consistently votes in favor of gradual withdrawal. That doesn't fucking matter. Once you voted for it, the cat's already out of the But you can't put Pandora back in the box. You know, like it's so – that's such a chicken shit. Like I had some guy reply to me because I was criticizing um, Engel for his vote for the um, war. And he was saying, this is really harsh. How was he supposed to know back in 2002? Any People knew. Serious, yeah. People the thing, knew. This is such a ch- – this is such, this is such a um, cop-out to say that the intelligence was bad. That is so self-serving. Um, because yes, you know, they, they frame the intelligence badly and everything, but you would, you, you can eyeball someone like Bush and, um, and Bolton and, and this crowd and know they've had a hard on for this war for 20 years and think, huh, I wonder what kind of intelligence is going to be producing and what the context is going to be. Could they be using this disingenuously? No, I'm just going to take it at face value. And oh, whoops, it turns out they were trying to do something with it. And it wasn't just purely neutral. I mean, you have people in the intelligence community that were blowing the whistle on this stuff at the time. It's a, it's, and the thing is, he's the head of the Foreign Affairs Committee. He's supposed to know this stuff. He's been in the Foreign Affairs Committee his entire career. The notion that he's just some helpless dupe that, you know, uh, was, was tricked. It's a, I find that very hard to believe. And that's you know? been the line that Biden has used about this too as well. And he was also an enthusiastic supporter of this and it's the oh. exact same excuse. Yeah. The clips from him are incredible where he was before like a year in advance, six months in advance was steadfastly calling for it. And then afterward for a while, years afterward, still defending it. Like, just like, yeah. there's no way, there's no way a, that they didn't know they knew. And it served, a, it served a broader purpose. It served like oil interests, it served big money interests, all these different types of things, right? Through weapons they defense knew. contractors. Totally, totally. And the thing is, like, they're just, it's just, it's, it's total revisionist history in falling back on their withdrawal things. Cause like you said, Ken, you can't take it back because the hundreds of thousands of people who died in those wars aren't coming back to life. Once you topple a government like that, everything that, you know, follows is, is part of that. And I mean, you can't, you, you, you know, you have a, you know, you have highly sectarian Shia militias that are exacerbating, uh, you know, the, the, this ethnic conflict that was very limited in nature, you know, obviously Saddam was not a, you know, good guy, but, um, the, the nature of the conflict, once you remove any sort of semblance of a, of a, of a government, I mean, he was not, you know, he was a, he was a monster, but he was, uh, largely secular in character, and what you've seen uh, it, it, in the conflict that's followed is is a drift away from secularism towards um, you know ethnic extremism on you know the part of both uh, Sunni and Shia, uh, it, at least in part in the country. So it, it's 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 not like you're just sort of oh I went back and I fixed the problem because I want to withdraw now. No, it's too late. You can't do that once you've 
destroy, you know what I mean? Once, once you've sort of, um, once you've scrambled the eggs, you can't unscramble them back into the, back into the eggshells. It's just, oh, it makes me so angry. So my takeaway from that though, Ken, is that you do support Saddam, I guess. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> no, actually I support Angle. I support Angle because he had a difficult, you know, he, it wasn't easy in those days. Uh, you know, we're not appreciating the decision yeah. he had to make. Yeah. Look, I, I think we've got to, it's, we see, you know, kind of the diverging uh, interests and, and groups who are getting behind each candidate. But one thing I do want to point out, and maybe you haven't considered this either of you, because this might change your opinion on, on, on Bowman. What if I told you that Jamal oh. Bowman, yeah, get ready. I hope you're sitting down, <laughs> did not vote for Barack Obama in the 2012 Ooh. presidential primary? Ooh. Now what? Cancel. You to, you, Dude, yeah. Game over. Oh, <laughs> shit. Why do we even do this episode? Do we need to film this again? <laughs> He's already got this thing in the bag. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, that's that's their that's their big oppo on... Uh, uh, on uh, on Jamal Bowman that he didn't vote in the presidential primary in 2012 when Obama was the incumbent running unopposed. Like we just all sit around and make fun of the thank you Oklahoma graphics that Trump tweets out after every primary <laughs> this year. Yeah. Like he gets one vote and he wins. That's it. And I it's just like, like I just like to picture Tom Watson in in his office and this this is like Engels um this is like his campaigns Manhattan Project, where they're working on the secret <laughs> weapon to unleash the week before the election, that is just going to annihilate the enemy. There won't be any, it'll be such a brutal route that they won't he won't be challenged in a primary ever again for the rest yeah. of his life. We've got that, and the Hillary Clinton endorsement was a famously uh, <laughs> impeccable track record on these on these things. Mm-hmm. And so. then to bring out Chuck Schumer, it's like that's yeah. overkill, man. <laughs> but Dude, the thing is, but the thing is, you almost feel bad kicking a man while he's down. That underscores Ken's point earlier that they're bringing out the big guns because they're desperate and not just because they want to keep this you know if they didn't care it's like whatever but the fact that they're sticking their neck out for someone who's so obviously terrible a week ago schumer wouldn't even talk about this race because elliot angle said that schumer endorsed him and then schumer went on the record and said no i haven't yeah and now a week later he is that shows with the Cuomo thing with the Hillary thing that's all Cuomo and Hillary have happened since that shows how serious they are about this race yeah well it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, that's something that we're all going to be keeping our eyes on I think uh, we should probably move this thing along this is like getting to be an extremely long episode <laughs> um, Ken of course just talking everyone's ear off so I apologize oh, sorry. To the feel listeners. free to cut it down yeah <laughs> yeah no, it's all good. It's all good. He defies the he defies the double ban yet again, <laughs> and then comes How in does this he keep doing demise. this? Yeah, he got <laughs> he can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> but uh, we got some reviews here. We got yeah. some reviews that I'm going to read before we before we uh, kick it over to Taylor. Um, in in the segment that I'm going to call feedback corner. Okay. <laughs> Can we call it that? Sure. Uh, we do. We do not discuss this. No. The uh, but feedback corner is the segment, um, the segment that everyone knows and loves, where we go over some of the valuable feedback that we've been getting from all corners of the world wide web. So uh, today we're going to talk about some more of these reviews. This has been an ongoing issue, I think, in the show with the, the various quality of the reviews. We're trying to kind of like discipline our listeners into kind of doing a better job with this and neg them, if you mm-hmm. will. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be really working because uh, we've. I think it's backfiring. Co- actually, yeah, it's, yeah. I feel like they're taking the things that we don't want to do, and then doing it intentionally. I kind of suspect they, sometimes. I think you're right. I don't know why yeah. they're doing that. That's yeah. mean. I agree, but in any case, uh, let's let's read some of these reviews here over on Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, very very helpful to the show. Helps more people discover the show. And in general, we enjoy getting them. Not always, but you know, <laughs> often funny. we do. Often yeah, we like I like it. them. Yeah. So uh, the first review here comes from Argus Fitzgerald. Uh, it says, try the spicy nugs. Uh, nicest Wendy's I have been to, clean restaurant, quick service, fresh hot food. I prefer this one than the one closer to my house. That's, so that's good. So that seems like some kind of mistake, possibly. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, on second reading, I think that's not f- for us. Yeah. They might have wanted to do that on, like, um, Yelp. Yeah, I think they maybe mistakenly left that here. Uh, it seems to be for pro- pro- what seems to me like a Wendy's mm. review. So we're just going to move on. Yeah, I think Wendy's did bring the spicy nugs back. You're right. Yeah, so that's... Okay. We'll get to the bottom of that. Yeah. But thank that's you for good. the five stars. Okay, yeah. we'll take it. Okay, this next review is from Gooner86. It says, Justice for Ken. Klippenstein has that no malarkey energy that this pod needs. <laughs> that's that's the review. I yeah. mean, they couldn't they couldn't I mean, they had characters. There's a, what's the character limit on these? They had room to mention us. I mean, it's not Ken's. Yeah. It's not Ken's show. He's not on the Yeah, he's only on some I mean, episodes. he's on the show today, but that doesn't mean he's on every time. Yeah. And I feel like often there is a little bit of malarkey to be yeah, there's to so be much, bring it. There's so much prevaricating in this show. You guys bring me on every few every few weeks just to sort of uh bring bring that bring the it's kind of like um, it's like a Geiger counter. Like when it, when there gets to be too much radiation, you bring me on to just uh, bring things down to manageable levels of malarkey. Yeah. Exactly. And then when they get when they get too high, you bring me back. Yeah. 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 It's like that guy in uh, the show, the Chernobyl. He's like, oh, it's a uh, not 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 a lot of malarkey. Not not okay. I'm, I'm butchering the quote. I'm not even going to do. It's that. not great. Not terrible, right? Yeah. 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 There we go. I should have thought about that more ahead of time before I started talking about it. <laughs> I just come in my lit. I just come over in my like half life suit. It's like protecting me from <laughs> from the radiation from the levels the of bullshit detectors. going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then you guys own me, and it's like morphine administered. <laughs> yes. Okay, Jordan, do you want to read um, read another review? Uh, yeah. Could do you have it, uh, one in front of you? Yeah, I do. Uh, this one's called. This one's titled. Oh boy. This one's titled Solidarity Uh-oh. with Comrade Clips. Okay. Yikes. I am self-imposing a double lifetime ban, voluntarily precluding myself from ever being invited on the insurgents in solidarity with heroic freedom fighter Comrade Ken Klippenstein, who exhibits by impeccable example the absolute pinnacle of party discipline and class warriorship. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh my god, this is like this is like the, this Re- is like oh, the- well, there's more. There's more. Hold on. Hold on. Cuz I think we're about to hit some troubled waters here. <laughs> Re- Riordan and Job. Riordan and Job. That's those are not our names. It. No, those aren't our names. I- Act as serviceable foils to the comrade. Though I do believe the show would benefit from an upgrade on this front and employ better counterpoints to showcase Ken's syntactical and dialectic brilliance. Oh my Long God. live the comrade. I know what those words mean. Oh boy. 
It's not even Ken's show. I mean, we get people replying to us yeah. on Twitter saying they like the show Ken's Clips. That's not that's not the name either. Yeah, it is not the name of the show. I wish not people get this wrong. And I'm actually looking at this review here. It says it's left by Ken Klippenstein. What the? Oh, no. Well, you know, I mean, what? So I, someone else has the same name as me. So what? Yeah, you tried to spoonerize your name to hide the. Yeah. <laughs> to, work. to hide your tracks. You got me, John Smith. There's two John Smiths. Wow, devastating, guys. Okay, and here's the last review, and this is this is quite honestly just disgusting, and I'm I I can't even believe I'm reading this on the show. Here it says it's great stuff. Uh, hey, Jordan and the other one. Great job. <laughs> Especially since you've done away with that Ken Clipperstein guy. Okay, I like that one. I thought that was a but little I bit dismissive. I do have a name. He must not have seen the previous review where the guy the guy died from my podcast sins and, and made it so I can come back. Because <laughs> he's accept what did he say? He accepted the ban. So yeah, that's what yeah. it is. He's been he's a sacrifice. Yeah, I know our listeners try to be funny with the names, the misspelling and stuff, but I don't appreciate being cast aside like that. And I would like, <laughs> ideally, I would like that kind of bit to be uh, just completely removed from future reviews. If people could keep that in mind from now on. This um, one, I think, was probably my favorite review. That you like that? That's mm. interesting. I thought that was good. Wow. It hit okay. all like, the important stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, again. Please keep reviewing the show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it is really helpful. Not not like that. That was not helpful. I didn't like it. Uh, so don't don't send reviews like that. But uh, continue doing that. Uh, leave us a voicemail. The voicemail will be in the show notes uh, each and every week in your email. Uh, subscribe to The Insurgents over on Substack at theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, if you like the show, you want to help keep it on the air, that's where you can do that. You can make a monthly contribution or an annual contribution over there. Very easy to do if you're able to. We really appreciate it. And I think that's just about everything. This is like a super long episode now. We kind of it's like a double, double stuffed uh, extravaganza episode. That's good. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to talk about. But uh, anyways, thanks Ken. Thanks for thanks for joining us and breaking this stuff down. And we'll be back with Taylor Lorenz right after this. Taylor, thank you for joining us. Uh, we like to open the show with a little bit of small talk with our guests to kind of, you know, break the ice. Small talk. Typically, <laughs> these conversations revolve around the same topic every time, and that's gaming. And you are yes. now a gamer. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. How how is your how is your your new foray into gaming? It's it's been productive. It's been a learning experience. I can't really board like vehicles, but I did successfully pilot a helicopter in Fortnite. Ooh. I think successful is doing a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> successfully piloted it into the storm. <laughs> yeah, she flew it into the storm. She also uh kind of like lowered it and then just sped forward toward Joshua Rush, friend of the show and me, and catapulted us back about 50 feet uh <laughs> eliminating us from the game it but, was you know, i love fortnite now i love it it's so fun 
Isn't it? It's an interesting game. It's good. It's good for, uh, for teamwork, uh, team building, <laughs> camaraderie, <laughs> skills, those types of things. I'm still waiting to get my first kill, though. It was taken from me the other day by Josh, so still waiting on that. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah, maybe next week. Yeah, it's a fun one, though. So Taylor Lorenz, uh, how would you describe yourself? Your internet culture reporter yeah. for the Times? Yeah, I read about internet culture for the New York Times. All right, so thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got a lot we wanted to talk about, uh, so let's get right in. Um, Rob, you wanted to, I guess there's so many different things we could, we could start with, but Rob, you, I think what you were talking about before the show sounded really interesting um, about the Facebook groups. So do you want to kick things off? Oh, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that um, when when the, the, the pandemic kind of started to really kick off, one of the things that I flagged on here that was making me a little bit nervous is this like this very this prevalence of like high, heavily armed militia groups uh, in the U.S. And I was kind of wondering how they were going to respond to this. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen this this uprising going on. And I think over the last couple of days, it seems like we're seeing uh, increasingly a lot of these groups get a lot more emboldened to try and infiltrate these protests, to try and cause violence there. Um, and in some cases, like in the in these confrontations based on these different statues that are getting pulled down, we're starting to see like these, these groups that are um, uh, inserting themselves into these situations and creating really violent and tense situations in some cases. And uh, a lot of these groups, when you go back to, when you talk about kind of uh, far right organizing, uh, whether it's this kind of most current iteration or just like everything over the last four years or so, a lot of that has taken place on Facebook. And I know because of the relentless pressure they've been getting over the last couple of weeks, they've started to take a few meager steps to address that and address the fact that there's like, you know, uh, militias and and like Civil War II enthusiasts like Boogaloo Boys, etc., uh, using the platform to organize and create these scary situations. So yeah, I was wondering what what steps is Facebook tape, taking, if any at all, to try and address this this ongoing issue that's been a, a problem there for, it seems like, a lot of the Trump era. Yeah, the keyword I think is like, if any at all. Um, I feel like this has been going you know on and on with Facebook so ever since they really started to pivot hard into groups in 2017. Um, you, you know, more and more groups have just been cropping up for sort of radical organizations and there's backlash and then they, of course, crack down on it or say, we're not going to allow this type of stuff. But these groups are totally self-policed. So, you know, Facebook doesn't always know what they're about. Um, I mean, for instance, I know one large uh, justice, I think the title of the group is something about justice for George Floyd or something George Floyd. And then you join the group and it's all just like completely racist, horrible stuff. Um so it's, you know, they just they don't do a good job of tamping down on any of this stuff. There's no moderation. I mean, it's kind of like any kind of small groups platform in that way. It just allows these communi- communities to foster. I mean, it's been a really big issue with, um, you know, COVID, too, because there's all these health misinformation groups and anti-vax yes. groups that are also just gaining so much traction. Um, and Facebook has just, you know, sort of refused to do anything about it. Um, I think that this is also like... You know, Facebook openly made this pivot to groups, like very clearly and publicly. And Zuckerberg wrote about it and announced it. And um, this was such a natural consequence of like moving to more sort of private social networking, I guess, um, that it's kind of shocking that they didn't think about any of this stuff. 
Well, it was totally just an effort on their part to just sweep everything under the rug, it feels like, a little bit, because people were complaining about, you know, far-right radicalization. So it's like, oh, if we just focus on these private groups, it's going to get out of everyone's uh, face. And then these groups can just organize in private and no one will bother us about it anymore. But it's not really an actual solution. No, and it just galvanizes people even more. And it just allows them an easier way to meet and network with each other. So it's kind of been a disaster. Um, I also, I wrote about all of these mom groups that have been blowing up too over all this stuff last week, just about sort of how a lot of the large, largest and most powerful mom groups are run by, you know, these white women, many of whom don't believe in racism or, you know, they're, they're, sorry, they're openly pretty racist and, um, you know, silencing women of color, all this bad stuff. So it's just, it's pervasive. It's not, you don't have to, you know, join like, a Boogaloo Boys group to be radicalized. You can just be in some massive mommy group and sort of slowly expose to different ideas and get exposed to a splinter group. It's just, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, I think that's been kind of the disturbing thing about studying this kind of online radicalization, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube, is because you can see that kind of pipeline where people can kind of, even with sort of innocuous intentions, get funneled into this ex- increasingly extreme content. Mm-hmm. And... I think I just think that's one thing that's kind of amusing to me about Facebook, how, you know, Donald Trump and, and it's a kind of a common thread on the right to call Facebook this like far left kind of arm of the Democratic Party. Uh, and then you have it being used so much as this this radicalization tool for the far right. And also, if you look at Facebook news feed and the most popular stories there week after week, it's like Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, Sean Hannity, Fox News, Breitbart. And it's amazing how popular that kind of content is there, but it doesn't stop conservatives from constantly um, (laughs) claiming that they have some kind of far left bias or anti-conservative bias. It's kind of the same strategy that they've been employing against the mainstream media in America for a very long time now, quite successfully. And it's been it's been an ongoing source of frustration to me to see tech companies like Facebook still continue to take that bait. And try to appease these kind of uh, complaints, which are you can when you look at into it are not really based on any kind of reality. Yeah, those complaints are definitely not based in reality um, because you know, as my colleague Kevin Roos sort of covers this area a lot and regularly tweets out these lists of the most popular stories on Facebook, and it's almost all dominated by pretty far right organizations. And this is like I I've tracked some of. Uh like the Facebook spending uh, from right-wing groups in, in previous work, but like a lot of that's also because of just huge astroturfing efforts. Like Ben Shapiro spends a ton of money on on Facebook to get his to get his content to, to more and more people. And I think there's even people, and the result of that in, in a cultural context is that people who might not be as clued in or as like big of consumers as of news as you or 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 me see those videos constantly and then come to the the conclusion that you know what hey i might not agree with him on anything but that guy's smart that guy's you know he's making some good points and because of the way the algorithms work the more they engage with that content the more they see it so then it starts to create this like kind of like feedback loop and like they start to develop their own bubbles around this kind of stuff and that filters them into those types of groups that we saw that we talked about earlier so it's just like the way these systems operate and how they shape public perception on politics and, and social issues is really disastrous. And that kind of brings me to one question I did have. We didn't go we didn't go over this, but I am curious what you think about how like platforms 
moderate these types of things, but specifically in a content moderation uh, context, because today Twitter rolled out that voice memo tool. And I saw you, you were playing around with it, Taylor, but it looks like they don't have any mechanism right now to moderate what people are using that for, which someone pointed out, I think at The Verge, it was like, hey, get ready for audio death threats on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is it? Do you, do you know of any moderation tool coming to that? No. And I saw, you know, the product manager did this long thread about it and like basically didn't really address moderation as far as I could tell at all. Um, it's just, first of all, I'm so shocked that Twitter finally rolled something out because they sort of notoriously don't roll out any new features. Um, <laughs> but they finally, you know, rolled out this totally new form of communication. And you would think that just given the company's reputation and how horrible they've been in the past on, you know, privacy and safety and moderation issues that they would get ahead of it. And instead, you know, I just saw the Twitter PR people just saying, oh, look at how all these celebrities are using it. Isn't this cool? It's like, you have to assume that every, you know, new form of communication is going to be used by the worst people. So can't wait for that. But yeah, I, I don't see any moderation. I did reach out to Twitter PR about it, though. So TBD. Yeah, I guess it's not really surprising that people have in, in Silicon Valley have rolled out a new product or feature without thinking things through. And that kind of gets me to what we really, really wanted stunning. to have you I can't on believe for. that. It's so against it's, nor- it the normal, surprising. the way of doing things. I can't, I can't really wrap my mind Usually they're so careful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but the one thing we really didn't want to talk to you about, this is, this is the f- most bizarre story, I think, out of, out of that city and area this week and that is what is going on at ebay and why are they sending people pig fetuses could you help us could you help us understand this This is this the new trend is so (laughs) insane i hope it's not a trend (laughs) pig fetus pig fetus challenge (laughs) i would literally die if someone sent me that um (laughs) but yeah it's insane basically this story came out yesterday um where this basically this lawsuit or this like it turned out that the government i think was kind of investigating um everything that went down which is that the a bunch of people at ebay these like two executives at least um you know the former ceo and their head of comms as well as some employees there had engaged in this long coordinated harassment campaign against this couple, um, specifically this woman who ran an e-commerce newsletter um, who was critical of eBay. Mm. And you gotta watch out for those folks. Yeah, it's like, it's so crazy. It's also like, it's like, I felt like as someone that has a newsletter that's so bad, it's like, the fact that anyone would consider your newsletter, it's just, it's so, it's like you always want, you know, people to read your newsletter and for it to be so powerful and meaningful. And uh, I just think it's like insane. Um, it's insane. <laughs> and they they sent her, they didn't just send her a pig fetus. They sent live cockroaches, spiders, like fly larvae, um, just all of this mm. horrible stuff. A, a book about like the death of your spouse, which I think is very threatening. It's That's- just... That's unnerving. Uh, I'm not going to participate in that challenge, but, you know, understand the, the Gen Z kids who, who might want to. <laughs> don't do it. It's so terrifying. Yeah. I, I just like, I don't know, some of the um, texts in the in the um, like in the lawsuit were just so insane. I don't know if you saw them between the, the different people at eBay. They were basically like, you know, I want her done. She's a biased troll. She needs to get burned down. 
Um, one of them was like, hatred is a sin and I'm very sinful. Um, literally, that's what one of these wow. execs texted. Like, well, it's like these are ostensibly smart people. And I don't what I don't get is how no one along the line of like deciding to do this kind of shit starts to think maybe we're going to elevate this stuff so even more people see it than we than originally uh, by by going after the person like this. Whereas if we said dead nothing and ignored it, it would probably just go that no one would really hear about it. But by by elevating it to this level, we're ensuring that everyone is going to make to definitely hear about the, the stuff that we don't want them to know about. To me, it just reminded me a little bit of like the Tiger King, um, you know, Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin thing where it's kind of like it, it, I think people get so like it's like they're clearly these these eBay people are like in this state where they're so angry at this woman and they just hate her and they just want to like destroy her and like destroy her life. And it's. Yeah, it's over something so trivial. Also, who thought of, like, I think half of the reason the story is so funny is because it's like, or not funny, I mean, it's obviously disturbing, but it is kind of funny. And it's like, because eBay is like, who would have even thought, like, eBay was always this nicer alternative to Amazon. Like, Amazon, I would expect something like this from. eBay, it's like, what? That's what, what, what is eBay even up to? I don't know. Yeah, it seems, it seems odd that this would be the company that does something like this. You would think it would be someone like Uber. Yeah. Or, yeah, or Amazon. Someone who's, like, known to be way more ruthless and has, like, a penchant for theatrics. Or has that uh, kind of frat uh, element in yeah, their their yeah. corporate culture, which I don't think we really t- traditionally would associate with eBay, who seems kind of more like kind of a, a dinosaur in these days. Yeah. Right, right. It's so crazy. It's also just, like... I, I don't know the levels that people go for something just so meaningless ultimately um and it's ter- terrible i mean this woman is very much a journalist and was very much doing reporting on the company and just these attempts to harass her it's just it's it's gross and bad and deranged so are there other instances of this that maybe haven't gotten the type of attention or uh you know media coverage like is this something that we should expect going forward? Or do you think this is just an anomaly? No, it's definitely not an anomaly. I mean, definitely corporate comms departments at big companies are ruthless. And, um, you know, there's tons of, you know, examples of, of corporate comms people digging up dirt or going through reporters' trash, you know, just trying to kind of like I guess, you know, discredit um, different journalists um, being very difficult to work with. I, you know, I think that corporate comms machines at some of these big, powerful tech companies, um, you know, are are definitely a force to be reckoned with. And they're, you know, they they have done bad things to journalists. I think th- this is just extra egregious. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think people are generally mailing cockroaches, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, um, Fox just hired a whole department to do this, though. Fox News <laughs> just hired a department to dig up dirt on reporters and critics. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, there's tons of like oppo research and stuff that happens. And people very, I mean, I think that there is a really contentious, um, you know, feelings between like tech and media companies. Um, you know, I think that these tech companies also have endless resources. I, you know, other reporters um, and I were sort of talking after this and they were talking about sort of the dossiers that these PR people put together on, you know, different journalists and um, just how disturbing it is. And, you know, some of them have seen their dossiers or, you know, an exec will have it out and be going through it. And 
Um, I, I'm always amazed. I mean, I remember, I don't really cover corporate companies. I cover everything from the user side, thankfully, so I don't have to deal with these PR people as much. But, um, you know, I was interviewing um, the CEO of a messaging company, CEO, CEO, CEO of a messaging company, uh, a couple of years ago. And I remember on the call, um, he had he had congratulated me on my engagement at the time, um, and which was so weird because I had not really put it up anywhere and um it was <laughs> just creepy. so disturbing i was like how do you know it's it throws you off your game you know what i mean so then you're like you can't really ask the questions that you wanted to so i i feel like that's their goal is to kind of get in your head but this is i mean this is like way insane that's still really disturbing that yeah. they would like kind of like put put that out there at the onset they're like we have like we've got you that's, totally that's really fucked up creepy these people are but i don't know i mean i feel like a lot of it goes back to kind of like political comms people i mean you see so many people and especially in like the tech corporate comms world get hired out of politics and i think that that's very much like the culture in politics is kind of like digging up dirt on your opponent and you know communications and pr is not just like sending out press releases but it's very much kind of like directly shaping your image through all of these different means so so We've seen this this huge outpouring of support from corporations and brands uh, all falling over each other to to get out there and say how much they support the black community and how much they support Black Lives Matter and how they want to be better and do better. And, you know, some some of them make donations. Some of them just want to lift up black voices and. All of this, for the vast majority of it, just kind of rings hollow to a lot of people because, you know, for for apparel companies, it's companies that exploit uh, the labor of women and children of color in different countries or have like, you know, there's banks that had predatory lending practices for years that disproportionately impacted black communities and there were, you know energy companies who pollute black communities and all of these different types of uh, entities that have uh, contributed to systemic injustice in different ways were all coming out because it was, you know, they were getting free clout for it just by coming out and putting out a statement or making their profile picture a black square. Um, the, 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 the role and rise of woke, like sentient brands and corporations is, you know, it's nothing new but this really was like a huge moment for that kind of behavior on social media. I mean, what were some of the things that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, I've just enjoyed, um, you know, a lot of these brands getting dragged and then having to put out, you know, like a very Instagram friendly apology, like reformation, finally. Um, you know, because it's so phony. It's so hypocritical. I mean, for all of the reasons you just said and more, obviously. And um, you know, I think that it, it's just like, hopefully people will continue to hold them accountable. Um, I think a lot of brands also just like have kind of whiffed where they like, um, you know, like they posted the black square and now they think that they can just go back to normal. Um, yeah. and, and that's really disappointing to see too, obviously. Um, so I don't know that there'll be any kind of meaningful, um, change unless people sort of continue to, to basically hold these brands accountable. Um. But it's it's 
it's much more than just whatever they're saying on Instagram. Like they can pay lip service to anything on Instagram. They all need to, I mean, it's, it's sort of like a lot of these companies too, like they have very racist business models, you know what I mean? So that it's in their interest to kind of perpetuate that. And it's doubtful that they'll ever do anything. You know, we, these companies just need to be put out of business, you know, um, because they're predatory. Yeah. Cause I mean, you have a corporate structure that's often, kind of hierarchical in that sense, but then you have a whole, you know, supply chain issue that's where a lot of these corporations are dependent on exploiting people in the third world for their profits. And it's not like they're going to be changing that stuff anytime soon. Yeah. Exploiting people all over America, you know, um, or, or polluting America or it's just, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, I was reading some story about some meat, the pork industry or something, you know, how they basically lied. Um, and, and said there was all this demand and they were shipped all this, it was sort of more COVID related, like pork to China. And meanwhile, all these, you know, factory workers were getting sick and dying of COVID and they just, it's just uh, so many of these companies are so corrupt and, and awful. I hope we have a reckoning. I think it's kind of, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the Me Too stuff where there was this huge wave and this huge discussion, right? And like all of these, you know, suddenly it's not okay to be like sexist, I guess, as much anymore. And I think that people are suddenly realizing, wow, it might not be okay to be so racist. Um, I'm really also like, I don't know if you guys, I follow a lot of the like girl boss kind of Instagram influencers and I feel like their day is done now too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the wing just had a big reckoning, right? Oh, yeah, which was so long overdue. Um, Well, one thing that I do find a little bit interesting, though, is that I think maybe even five, six years ago, it was enough for um, corporations to just put out these meaningless platitudes about this and, and try to... You just do that or we, we stand with, you know, the victims of gun violence or something like that. And then just go on whatever, whatever their, their business model was and just kind of carry on as business as usual. But one thing that I do find a little bit interesting about this moment is that, um, I think it's not really enough anymore. And people are realizing that and people are, are vocally trying to do what they can to kind of hold these brands to account for the way that they perpetuate a lot of this stuff and not just let them get away with these meaningless platitudes and then moving on from it. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to result in any kind of reform or if these companies are actually going to change in any way, but I do, I do think there's been an interesting shift um, in that they're, they are being held to account more publicly for this, for yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah, they can't sweep it under the rug. As- yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, one instance of the, 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 the phony response uh, that I was just trying to check right now to make sure that this company did this because this really hits the nail for me. This hits the nail on the head on how how much how bullshit all this is. UPS put out a statement the other day saying, uh, "Not only do we want to make a difference externally, but we're also looking internally. Diversity and inclusion is one of our core values, but we know that's not enough. We're taking this time to encourage our employees to be able to have crucial conversations to raise awareness." And they donated. Um, <laughs> To quote programs, you might know where I'm going with this. To programs supporting Black communities and increasing unconscious bias training for its workforce amid global protests over racial injustice. Now think back, just a few months ago to December. Yes, I was just going to bring this up. Yeah, Miami police shot a UPS driver while pursuing somebody else. Shot and killed a UPS driver and the UPS put out a statement thanking the police. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Yeah. I love all the tweets that are like the side by sides. Like I think somebody did Starbucks or something where Starbucks was like 
we support Black Lives Matter or something. And then the next, the, you know, the other tweet is like Starbucks <laughs> says that like yeah. employees cannot mention. They're not anything. allowed to wear it's shirts. Just, yeah. Yeah. So there's, I just, there's so many of those. Um, and, you know, I hope people keep making them because I think people, you know, these companies won't change unless their consumers demand it. Yeah. Yeah. This, this it's, it's just in the moment. It's just for the positive PR you know, just to give the appearance of progress while, mm-hmm. like we talked about with supply chain issues and worker exploitation, ignoring the systemic problems that exist every day and contribute to, you know, just kind of the suppression of people in general across the board. And that's what we wanted, like, a, a, another part of what we wanted to have you on for was imagining this future. As this, like, we'll do a thought experiment. <laughs> what does this future look like where nothing stops this progress, this direction we're heading? where companies continue to dig up dossiers on reporters, silence them, intimidate them, threaten them, whatever, until the point where reporters are scared to do any type of like meaningful, muckraking journalism on corporations. And they continue to put forward and posture as woke and socially progressive. What does that look like to you guys? That's terrifying. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's obviously like, I cover a lot of YouTube stuff and I have, you know, I, I'm sort of been in the YouTube world a lot for a long time. And, um, you know, one thing that I think, well, YouTubers get a very bad, I mean, YouTubers do a lot of bad in the world, I would say, in in terms (laughs) of distributing misinformation and, you know, acting like they're journalists, but not really doing fair reporting, um, and stuff like that. But I do think that there are more kind of like independent voices in media that, that are really good. Um, you know, I think a lot of the criticism of the sort of like mainstream media is, you know, valid. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting that like, you know, this eBay stuff, it's like, they're mad at some newsletter writer, you know what I mean? It's not even like (laughs) some huge person with all these protections. Um, And so I think, you know, I I hope that sort of the quote unquote mainstream media remains strong, because I think often big institutions have the legal protections, um, you know, to do the really hard reporting. Um, But I also think it's great to sort of see more grassroots and sort of like homegrown kind of people covering different companies and and holding these companies accountable on YouTube. I don't know what the future, I mean, that's a very dark future, but we're kind of already there, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because it's it's hard. And these companies, they just have such a, I mean, so many companies um, just have have huge animosity sort of towards the media, you know, they won't talk to reporters and they don't have to as much necessarily either. You know, journalists at the mainstream media used to control distribution and now they, you know, don't have control over that. So these, you know, these uh, companies will just put out a statement on Medium or, you know, put out a blog post or content or whatever to kind of market themselves um, and and try to make it where it's like two sides of something. like one side of something is based on serious reporting and the other side is just PR. But I think to a lot of consumers who don't have media literacy, it's like, well, they kind of think of it as two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the, one of the interesting things about that conflict too, about, uh, you know, we talked about Facebook or YouTube or these, these big tech companies coming into conflict with, with media companies, because, Really, Facebook and YouTube are media companies, but they're not uh-huh. really regulated like that. They're not really talked about like that, but they have huge amount of power over like the information that people have access to. Absolutely. Um, 
And there's just not a lot of media literacy in this country, you know, um, which is which is hard and makes journalists jobs harder. It makes everyone less skeptical of, you know, PR. And, um, you know, so that I think those are all really kind of dangerous shifts. Yeah, it's something that I mean, I wanted to mention this earlier when we were talking about Facebook groups and and, and people putting pressure on Facebook to go after these like far right groups, uh, because that's something we've seen a lot on YouTube as well, where where YouTube has faced pressure to demonetize and, and take these like far right, this this far right pipeline and try to reform their algorithm. So it's not funneling these people into this far right content or allowing these extremists to monetize uh, their channel and, t- and, you know, you spread hate speech and, and make money from it. And like we spoke with Carlos Maza a few uh, weeks Carlos. ago, or months ago now. Yeah. Oh, he's and a good YouTuber. I love he's so creative. He is. Yeah. But he, I think the, what happened with him was an interesting case in this because he tried to use his platform, I think, rightly to pressure YouTube uh, over cracking down on this stuff. And this we've seen this on, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, where anytime these companies uh, get pressured to uh, police this far right content more because they're so paralyzed with fear of seeming partisan or, or feeling like they're 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 have some kind of conservative bias. They always end up punishing the other side equally, even though the other side is not really responsible for like a lot of the bad stuff though that they're trying to call attention to. So in the case of YouTube, it resulted in YouTube like demonetizing a lot of like really good and helpful progressive and leftist channels that weren't spreading hate speech or violence uh, because they're so paralyzed with with inability to actually take a firm position on this. They have to seem like they're applying the same standards to everyone, which ends up unfairly punishing people on the left for for, uh, you know, trying to trying to uh, monetize the work that they're doing. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think a clear case of this that happened recently, I think with the political stuff, it's always a little bit hard to kind of talk about because, you know, people like, well, you know, you know, they sort of disagree on left and right, whatever. But um, to me, this sort of issue just came to such a head during COVID, um, which we're still going through. But, um, you know, YouTube initially demonetized all videos. um, Well, first, they didn't do anything. Then they kind of demonetized all these videos because, um, you know, coronavirus misinformation was rampantly spreading all over the platform and and going really viral. And so they were like, okay, we're demonetizing the videos. And then that led to all of these, you know, YouTubers that were actually trying to get the word out, giving hand-washing tutorials, like all that stuff also got demonetized and deranked. So it kind of, yeah, it punished the good actors just as much as the bad. And I think with something like coronavirus misinformation, it's a little easier to see because you're like, whoa, okay, clearly we want hand-washing videos, right? And not like... QAnon conspiracies, but I think with the political yeah. stuff, for some reason, you know, it just gets much more muddied and um, contentious. But they need to think about this stuff from the beginning. I mean, this is stuff that they need to think about when they're building the products. This is like classic Twitter problems too. It's like if you don't yes. think about this while you're building the product, anything you do, you know, to react to it later is just it's going to be bandied. Yeah, and and just to go back to a point you were making before, Jordan, um, I do think it is kind of an insidious thing how you have these like really powerful and and you know uh, financially successful corporations pivoting to this kind of woke language or or appearing to be really altruistic and supporting these worthy causes. Meanwhile, uh, the way that it seems like both parties are kind of moving uh, in kind of two different ways is is like 
you know, this this very technocratic, uh, almost libertarian element of of unfettered corporate power of of outsourcing social services to these unaccountable tech companies. Um, and I think it does lead to a kind of scary possible future for the U.S. and elsewhere, frankly, in the West, where, uh, you know, the, the, the public role takes a, takes a backseat to these unaccountable companies. Uh, but because it's kind of because of this language that it gets used is kind of like social justice, uh, you know, more progressive language, it's kind of presented as this positive move forward when really when it comes to things like worker protections or the, the role of like public ownership or social services, it's taking massive steps backwards. Um, but because, you know, because of it, it, it's being framed as this kind of positive advancing of society, but really it's leading to this uh, somewhat scary dystopian uh, uh, reality. Totally. Uh, I mean, I think, and obviously we're, to be clear, we're speaking for ourselves as Taylor's not really on here to talk politics, but since it's come up, I think it just... The Democratic Party just will, will turn a blind eye to the corporate corporate efforts to, uh, you know, cut taxes for regressive policies, uh, f- regressive fiscal policies, while, you know, just kind of cozying up to uh, to them when, you know, social things come around, like when it's like, you know, equity and, and board seats and things like that, things that aren't actually going to contribute contribute to systemic advances in you know, economic gains for workers or for families or things like that. Um, you know, that's that's important. I think it. I think every work entity and, and every corporation should have a diverse workforce because you know, uh, diverse perspectives help enhance processes. But that's not enough. Like it's it takes more than that. So I think that this type of woke posturing from brands is just to placate the Democrats. Yeah, and there there is kind of like a revolving door uh, developing between like Silicon Valley and the Democratic Party. You had a number of prominent Obama administration officials moving into moving into tech. Like I think Jay Carney is a big example at Amazon, and like the work the the work that he's done lately uh, as part of their team. You have Obama himself going with with Netflix and everything like that. Yeah, I just remember from when I covered politics for two years. Um, I don't know. Were you? Do you guys remember South by South Lawn, the big event that oh the Obama God. administration yeah. had? <laughs> like, I do. talk about it was basically just like a recruiting fair for tech companies to come recruit all these people from the Obama administration, and it was just ridiculous. And South by South Lawn. You know what? I laugh, but I'll be honest. I wanted to go because <laughs> Trent, Trent, Trent Reznor was there, and I love Nine Inch Nails, and that was why I wanted to go. And that's it. It, I remember, um, I remember like waiting in line for the food trucks, and then like I thought it was all free, and then it like wasn't free. Oh <laughs> I was my just, god! Like, felt like an asshole. I was like taking. <laughs> making you pay? Come on, it's yeah, president. That's insane. It's weird. Um, <laughs> and then I and then Leonardo DiCaprio came out later, too. Oh, that's pretty cool. That was, yeah. Anyway, that was that was just it was Part funny because show. I. <laughs> I just feel like when you talk about, you know, tech and politics, to me, like that event was just, I was like, oh, that's where all these people are about to go. You know, they're about to get jobs at Pinterest and Uber and, you know, Google and Facebook and all of these companies that are essentially here to recruit, you know, members of yeah. the Obama administration. On that front, and then I guess to segue to our, our maybe our last conversation with you, 
our last topic, you're talking about how the South by South lawn, uh, you know, was was a hu- an innovation hub for Obama. I uh, think <laughs> for Obama alums, and you know, I think about how I think about this a lot about how creators and innovators are popping up everywhere, and I think that we need that kind of entrepreneurial spirit on the left, that innovation on the left. And Taylor, you were telling us about something that I think Rob would be a great fit for, uh, that, you know, it kind of combines all of those elements and also Rob's politics, the leftist hype house on yeah. TikTok. Is that, is that, a, is that what is the leftist <laughs> hype house? Yeah, well, there is a conservative hype house, which I don't think you guys sound like just based off this conversation, you'd be a candidate. So I suggest you pledge no. the left. I think you might be. They have our picture out front. No, do not let Rob and Jordan into the hype house. <laughs> they debate each other on they, de- de- they debate each other on live streams um, sometimes. Okay. So, you know, uh, yeah, the, very left- fun. <laughs> the leftist hype house is um, a group of kids Although I think they're a couple, maybe 20 year olds, but um, they're young, they're Gen Zers. uh, And it's basically like a collab account where they put out a lot of pro Bernie stuff. And then when Bernie dropped out, it's a lot of uh, just general kind of Black Lives Matter socialist type stuff. Um, And uh, yeah, they're gaining clout. Let me see how many followers they have. Yeah, because I've I've made a few I've made a few half hearted efforts at becoming a TikTok a TikTok superstar, but has has yet to pan out. I don't have I don't really have the attention span for it. Number one, I always try to expand other social networks, and I just I always kind of come crawling back to Twitter. And also, I'm just very old, so I, I don't really fit in. I'm I'm not a good dancer either, so yeah, I've got all that working against me when it comes to that. Um, well, I suggest you check. Yeah, you check out some of these hype houses. It looks like there's actually two leftist hype houses. Oh so okay. there might be a little bit of um, oh three I'm sorry three there's three leftist type houses um, <laughs> wait four the same thing four they just five one two three and four and there's five? five of them so you kind of well, got I happen see. to know I happen to know leftist type house two and four are revisionists so <laughs> you gotta watch <laughs> you gotta political watch TikTok is crazy it also has its own I mean I wrote a story a couple I don't know like a month ago about sort of like these political pundits that have emerged like do you guys know Nick videos no he's like this TikToker. it's so funny because I tweeted about him and some like trolls were getting mad at me and they're like they were like, oh, you, oh, something Nick Fuentes. And I was like, they they thought that Nick Videos was Nick Fuentes, which is just funny um, because, like, <laughs> Nick Fuentes wishes that he could be <laughs> popular yeah. on TikTok. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I just, there's, like, a big political community on TikTok that is sort of all dominated by teenagers and Gen Z kids. So, Rob... Get in there. Go be like the house dad. Yeah, exactly. I'm the elder statesman of the the leftist TikTok hype house. The chaperone, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how does that operate? Like, is, are they physically... Like, I know some some of the other hype houses, like the one that I uh, applied for but got rejected because of... <laughs> the Sway House? Education. Sway House, yeah. Sway House. Um, you got Taylor tweeted about it. publicly... Yeah. I got very publicly Dunked. rejected from Sway House, yeah. Taylor tweeted about it, and I replied saying I was going to throw my my hat in the ring. And like the the creator, yeah, uh, Michael Gruen, who's the manager of the all manager. The, the of the house and of all the TikTokers, replied. What he he was initially kind of nice, right? What did he yeah, say? Yeah, so he gave me his email, <laughs> and he said, "Send your 
send your application or resume. Here's my email. I said, oh, hey, thank you. Um, I have my master's degree. Does that help? And he said, no, that's actually a negative. So, uh, <laughs> Condolences. Right. Best of luck in your search. I hope you find uh, a good fit for, for Sway House. I'm, I'm sorry it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Sway House is famous. Yeah. The, have you ever listened to their anthem, Still Softish? No. I have not. No. Oh my God. Still soft ish. So it's the caption. So they have a rivalry with another TikToker. And that was, I believe, the caption of a of a dick pic that he had sent to another TikToker girl. And Ew. so they made a oh diss track. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. These are literal <laughs> children. But anyway, you got to watch this video because the Sway House is very, it's the whole time. I'm so they're hanging off the balcony. It's so dangerous. Um, That's. That's not. That's like my. That's you don't, my. You don't want to be part of that. That's the future for what I think a corporate like brand's gonna look like. It's just gonna be like <laughs> shit like that, but like, you know, people are gonna be like, oh, that's woke, that's cool, and then just ignore that. Like, you know, they're getting like crushed by like cops. Yeah. Well, that, just, the Sway House came out, you know, for Black Lives Matter and did drop a merch. <laughs> drop some merch. <laughs> drop some. Drop some merch. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So, yeah. <laughs> Coming That's up. so funny. I'm the sorry. leftists I don't, don't have a, they don't have a house yet. Um, they just have a collab channel, so they kind of all contribute from their own separate places. You know, so. what, Jordan, we need to, what we need to do is turn Insurgents Global HQ into a, a, a TikTok hype house. How do we? We do don't need that, to join Taylor? another one. We can have we can create our own hype house. Create your own. What are yeah. you guys doing? Where, where is it going to be based? I don't know if you guys are in hot hype house territory. In, uh, is DC a good hype house? territory there are no hype houses in dc yet you you could launch yet. one of the first you could have the yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, a, get all our get interns a, to help us out with that mm-hmm. we got a row house on u street <laughs> feed him feed him Duccini's pizza and amsterdam falafel instead of paying him <laughs> amsterdam falafel oh my yeah. god <laughs> i think it's good i think it's a good idea I, I think this this uh, this can scale. So there's a hype house. There's a couple hype houses that are opening in New York post COVID. One in Atlanta, one in Memphis, and they're literally all over LA. So I think it's only nice. a matter of time before it spreads further east. You know what? I gotta I gotta give up. I gotta give credit to um, Logan Paul. I think he. I thought his statement. You know, it's it's oh very easy to laugh at Logan Paul. Can we talk and, about and, that? Yeah. Yeah. His statement after these these protests start like. I don't think you can count out how influential he is, especially with young people and how many followers he has for him to kind of like f- so forcefully talk about that. And, and I thought that was pretty impressive. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and rubber stamp Logan Paul's whole persona and, and career, but I thought that was pretty neat. And I think, I think you can't really understate the, the amount of influence that he has over young people. So I thought that was pretty, pretty cool to see. It was phenomenal. I mean, Logan Paul is yeah, he's really kind of like grown. I I agree. I would not give my like rubber stamp of approval on all of his stuff, but when no. so many influencers out there and YouTubers were literally just posting the black square, ignoring stuff or just doing sort of like this meaningless stuff, he like gave this really impassioned talk about um, racism and how he doesn't condone it. Meanwhile, his brother, you know, was in there sort of vlogging, alluding at the Scottsdale Mall. So yeah, <laughs> maybe That's he should well, call yeah. his brother first. And yeah. kind of. Talk well, about he that. took it to the next level by joining Antifa. So that was the. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> there is Antifa, Antifa is real. Antifa is real, and it's run out of the Team Ten House. 
Okay. <laughs> Team Santa. Parentheses. Not clickbait. Real. Gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my parents walked in while I was uh, lighting a cop car on fire. <laughs> Did you guys remember? Like, do you guys remember I'm J Station? No, it's like, no, I do not. No. Okay. Um. So I'm J Station was this YouTuber who um he kind of like did all these really weird stunts um and it was like i bought a ghost on the dark web um i bought a you know whatever he just did these like insane stunts that were so stupid and made no sense um based off trending terms and he faked his girlfriend's death for views which ultimately caused their breakup um, well, yeah, yeah. I hard but to I feel like he would have done if there was anyone to do a like. I'm joining Antifa. Like, click here. It, it would have been <laughs> him. There's a new YouTuber that I like have come to like hate watch. N and A Productions. If oh. you know who that is, no, I've never watched. It's the same person who just starts this like psychotic video format every single time where it's just like I'm gonna FaceTime and then it's just whatever popular search term or character like extremely copyright (laughs) like extremely (laughs) licensed property I'm gonna FaceTime this person or this character at 3am guys I'm so scared oh my god and it's the same fucking format every time and then like We'll do some like cheap effect, like oh my god, guys, they're in my room, they're in my room right now, and then we'll just hang up, and it's just like, what the fuck is this? And every single video follows the same format, and it gets like hundreds of thousands of views. I feel like Like, how it's just like, and it's clearly geared towards kids. It's just, it's torture. It should it should be labeled torture. It's insane. I feel like he's a protege of of I'm J Station. It's like exactly, yeah. You what have t- to see these videos. They're I so bad. I need to bad. watch. I literally just checked his I am not channel. familiar with this. I'll, t- I'll text them to you guys because they're just, they're terrifying because every single one follows the same format. And he's also really into the Joker, like the um, Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wait, <laughs> not even like one fun. of the good ones. The least cool Joker that was <laughs> yeah, ever he's like, existed. He's got like the ha 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 tattoos on his arms and stuff. Oh my, oh my god. Do you guys it's follow, so bad. Do you guys follow Ed Zitron on Twitter? Do you know who that is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has like a never ending feed of like Joker memes. <laughs> yes. And I I cannot get enough. Like Joker, if you even if you just go on like hashtag Joker memes on um Instagram, it's just it's so funny. They're literally it's like the same as those like do you guys remember We Heart It? The like Tumblr there was this app called We Hearted that was like just sort of like created like feeder content for Tumblr that was like sorority girls, like two girls in the sun, and it would just be like like kind of like live, laugh, love type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you could take all of those like su- like sayings from We Hearted and put them over Joker memes, and it would make <laughs> sense. <laughs> A girl should be Which two is like uh, things classy and fabulous. And yeah, it's like or it's like, no, it's like pleasure. you didn't you didn't love me now, and now I'm gone, or you know, like just. Like, <laughs> That would be a really good bit. You should do that. Uh, yeah. Just, just combine just like the mashups. Yeah. Of, of those types of uh, memes. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Well, Taylor, we know you're you're probably got a lot of important things to do. The new yeah. season of Fortnite came out today, so you probably <laughs> need to go get on that. Where are we dropping, Jordan? 
Yeah. That's literally why I, that's what I'm doing next. After we record the intro, I um, rest the night. It's all new season of Fortnite. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to log on. Maybe I'll log on. I can maybe get some, get some time. Let's in go. There. It's, it's water themed this season. It looks fun. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> so, but Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find me. you, your stuff online? Where can they follow you on TikTok, on Twitter, all that, all that good stuff? Where, where do you want the clout? Yeah. <laughs> I want the cloud on Instagram. I'm I I always am like well TikTok I'm at almost half a million, so Holy shit. No big Jeez. deal. Sorry, Rob. Maybe we'll collab are people one more, day. sorry to derail your outro, but are people <laughs> it just seems like people are more willing to follow on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Followers Is that mean, the case? Followers literally mean nothing on TikTok. It is Got it. it means nothing. Because your main feed is the for you page. So I feel like followers of just like it's just a pure vanity metric and everyone just follows everyone and it's like a follower free for all. So okay, so it doesn't impact your feed, just an algorithm does. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Yeah. I dropped a video yesterday. I I, I like literally stayed up till three AM making this like these like mashup videos of this like insane dating advice guy that I found called Matthew Hussey. I saw that guy, yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> the texting advice guy. He just posts videos about texting advice all day and they're so wild. Um anyway, I like posted highlight reel to TikTok and it just bombed and I was like, fuck this. Sorry for cursing. Forget this app. Uh <laughs> but yeah, you can you can find me uh on any social media platform, but Twitter and Instagram, uh just at Taylor Lorenz. Great. Well, thanks awesome. very much for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye. Goodbye.